When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. In by Kulisevsky. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man I'm pretty sure would win a one-person leadership contest. It's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. One-man contest in which every contestant is an inhuman monster. (laughs) I can't argue. Um, Welcome, listeners, to this absolute misery fest. It's going to be a horrific hour in which we talk about two dreadful Spurs performances... Um, but stick with us. I'm sure we'll find some light in amongst the dark. Uh, Shay Lakin says, question for the pod. Is anyone Conte out? Nah. No, of course not. I, I, I feel like with Conte, I've, I've always had my, my ear pressed up against the door, right? The moment, the moment I think things are beyond, um, repair, I, I, I think I will be one of the earliest people onto a legitimate Conte out um, run. But I, I don't think that that's what this is. This is just a tricky period, I think. Yeah, I'm also, um, I mean, I was Jose in for a long time. But th- there, are, <laughs> there are a few things that I need to get off my chest. And I, I don't know whether this is the right moment to or not regarding all this Conte out nonsense. So, Let's do it. Yeah, no, no, no one stopped me. So, And I know this is going to come cr- across as some Conte standing boomer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I get Italian. that. But you know what? I'm all right with it. Um, we need to take, we need to get a little bit of perspective and just a bit of a reality check on where we are. Like we're, we're third in the league and we're top of our Champions League group. If we win on Wednesday and win on Saturday, it's all okay. It's just, I'm, I'm, I'm pissed off like how we've become so privileged and we're all about what's happening right now. What's happening right now? This situation, this is, this is not even close to being a crisis, man. This isn't Lucas getting subbed off and all of us booing. It's not getting beaten in the conference league by a manager, a team whose manager's in prison. This isn't a crisis. This isn't even a problem. What this is, is some first world problems here. People <laughs> complaining that they got no wife 
Wi-Fi or uh, there's no soy milk in Starbucks. It's all fucking right, man. It's all right. If we win on Wednesday, it's even better than all right. If you had asked me before the World Cup starts, we're going to be top four next round of the Champions League, I would have taken it and I'd be a happy, happy person. Just everybody's become so obsessed with what those idiots down the road are doing. And there, that's me done. I find it very difficult to argue with any of that, Barty. I think um, some some much needed and dare I say unexpected perspective from you right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yet, and yet, lots of issues with these two matches in the past week, and I think it's very reasonable to question some of Conte's decision making in in both of the matches. So let's let's start um, with the Newcastle game that's freshest in our memories. Uh, the second the team came out. I shit myself. I thought this is this is bad news. I don't like the Emerson Royale Sanchez right side combination. I, I think honestly, I think um, Conte running that combination out time and time again and expecting something different to happen each time is is incompetent. I do, I do think that's incompetent. Like, what else can what, he do? What else can he do? Right. Okay. What else can he do? He can. Uh, he can play someone else on the right side of the centre-back. He could play Emerson Who? Real on the right side of the okay. centre-back. He okay. could play Jaffet Tenganga on the right side of the centre-back. He yeah. could play Eric Dyer on the right side centre-back. And then who's uh, central in that case? He could also play a different right wing-back. <laughs> he could play Matt Dotti as right wing-back. He could play Jed Spence, the, I, yeah. the lesser-spotted Jed Spence as right wing-back. There are other options. He could play Lucas. You know, I fucking hate Lucas, but <laughs> I'd, I'd rather see Lucas play right wing-back mm. than watch Emerson Real again struggle to play struggle to cope with the demands of what the system requires from him and I think I do think it's incompetent of Conte to continue to roll out this combination and expect something different to happen I don't feel too differently to that (laughs) I agree with that Wendy it's a it's a formation it's a it's a a partnership that's not worked um I, I don't see it ever clicking into place it's not a situation where they just need to learn each other's games they literally can't do it and I it's but you know, I think as bad as Sanchez was, there were other people in that defensive unit who were worse than than Big Dave yesterday. Dyer had an absolute shocker um, in this game. So let's let's finish off the team selection. Terrible news that Romero wasn't playing. You know, like our our most press resistant centre back, the only one who has any sort of um, competence when we're under the cosh at the back. Someone who can take a few touches and and really help settle the nerves. That was awful. And then Kyoibier not being available as well. You know, probably our best player of the season. Questionable, but certainly top three. Um, big loss. Really big loss. So a, a, a bit of a disappointing team selection given we didn't know about those two absences beforehand. Uh, I must admit, I feared the worst. I did send uh, a, an email to the ex-subs in the lead up to the game saying I think this is going to be a pretty painful watch. Uh, that was after the team selection, and I I was expecting bad things. What I wasn't expecting though was mm. Hugo Lloris to to do uh, a, a double Hugo special. <laughs> Two for one nowadays, you get. Yeah, mm. it's, um, I think that um, that particular situation he finds himself in, he comes out of the ball, is a tricky one. I do think he has to like either somehow muster a hard clear. Um, <clears throat> and I think that like there's this sort of vicious cycle thing where like goalkeepers have become so used to the, the to foul privilege that it's easy for him to feel impeded there, mm-hmm. um, even when it's hard to put up a fight that the ref says no, he wasn't right. 
Um, you can you you can say look, there's no pressure on the long ball. Um, none of the centre backs are, are claiming for that or offering much help there. But um, it's also unsurprising at this stage to see him do a thing like that, and it's also unsurprising to see him just dangerously lofts the ball above Sessegnon's head multiple times in a match. Yeah. yeah. And I know that second goal, you know, a terrible pass out. And then I feel like could have done more with the shot as well, yeah, to be honest. His shot stopping is, is, is statistically insignificant decline for, for the last, I don't know, three seasons. So like three seasons ago being elite of the elite shot stopper going down to a good, to an okay, to a bad shot stopper. Yeah. It's looking like so far this season. Obviously, it's not the biggest sample, but he's in decline, and uh, we probably should have addressed this sooner than now. You know, had that foul, had that had that confrontation happened in the box on a corner, the referee's given that free kick. He's he's not allowing yeah. that kind of contact from a striker on a goalkeeper. So I I do think there's a bit there's a bit of a mystery of why it was allowed, why it was given. But then I also think Larice totally fucked that up. Yeah. And mm. he should have just gone through and just cleared it. I don't know mm-hmm. why he was trying to control it with his stomach. He should have just gone through and just walloped it. Or stay on your line and, and hope that Dyer finds musters some energy to cover it. So that was totally on Lloris. And also people complained about Sessignon for the second goal, but that was on Lloris as well. I'm I'm starting to 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 hope for a little bit of um, Fraser Forster. That's that's the situation. I mean, I, I mentioned it before the Arsenal game, and um, I didn't realise statistically Lloris's shot stopping was dropping down. Um, but yeah, now you now you think about it, yeah, he's he's definitely not in a good place, and I I think the French national team would probably like him to get injured as well. It's yeah, that's true. Um, his shot stopping still isn't as bad as Forster's was at Southampton in total. Um, yeah. and I don't think Forster's that much better with his feet, so I'm I'm not on the play <laughs> Forster um hype train just yet, but. Um, I think that um, we should be looking at goalkeepers. I think that we should have been looking at goalkeepers. Well, I mean, I started calling for that like nearly five years ago, right? But that was probably too soon, it turns out. But, you know, better to have been too soon than too late. And I think that we are probably too late. Um, So we've got to look in January. I mean, a January market for goalkeepers is, is basically non-existent, right? Um, I don't know. I guess you do what you can. You 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 ask around, but it's a we're now in a bit of a tricky one with Hugo. And aside from just sort of bad squad management, um, Hugo's a, a Spurs legend, borderline or definitely. What do you think? Um, I don't know if he's a legend, but I think he's definitely borderline in in the discussion. Okay. The, the years of service and everything else he's put in. So to hang him out on his decline for him to to sort of allow him to tarnish his own image by declining and playing through decline in front of us is a disservice to him and what he's done for this club as well i think that it's like i don't know a lot of the time like um players are remembered for their last couple of seasons you know um emil heskey is 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 considered a donkey nationwide uh jamie carragher is this slow oaf who can't jog right um 
be because of how they declined and i i i think that that is also a shame to allow that to happen mm-hmm. yeah yeah i just want to touch on the no Hoiberg thing because I, I was quite excited by a midfield that didn't include him and i was i was very keen to see how it played and eddie one of our ex-subs we had had a few beers and he was he wanted to make sure that this didn't turn into um a, he he coined this phrase skip skip goating which is which sure. i thought it's i thought at the time after a few beers it was great but now now think about it so <laughs> it's, it's not that funny cold day. <laughs> the time, yeah. so he wanted to make sure that this didn't turn into some kind of skip goating um i thought he played really well i thought skip deserves a little bit of credit and i thought spurs started really really brightly did yeah and um had i don't know what son was doing in that one-on-one with pope but had he taken that chance then um, the game turns out to be different. But I thought Pope, despite his um, his time waste and the rest of it, he's he's an excellent goalkeeper and we should have gone for him. We should have signed him in the summer. He's very competent. He, ex- a, that's what a, he is. A, a he's really competent. good signing. He's a, yeah. he's a really competent goalkeeper. And at the moment, we're at that point where Lloris is incompetent. And it's that kind of, when we had Jurelio Gomez, who was this incredible goalkeeper, but he was incompetent. And then we got Brad Friedel in, who was a worse goalkeeper, but more competent mm-hmm. in the certain things. We just look better. So, um, yeah, I think at the t- at right now we should just try and get a competent goalkeeper who doesn't throw the ball in or come blindly out of his off his line. Yeah, and I do think at the moment in in the spot we're in and how we're kind of we're kind of getting we have been getting results, but they've been quite close. We've been sort of grinding things out. You can't afford to make mistakes, uh, and and when your goalkeeper makes catastrophic errors like that. It's a real problem, but it's not just that, is it? It's the it's the lack of confidence it instills in the rest of the defence. So you've already got a shaky goalkeeper. The you're missing your 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 one player at the back who can take a touch and deceive defenders and play a ball into the midfield. Everyone else in that back line looks nervous, partly as a result of of Lloris, partly because they've got Davinson Sanchez alongside them, and partly because Eric dies in a really bad spot at the moment. He's just having a terrible spell of form where he, his passing is off. Um, he looks like he's lost a bit of confidence in his own abilities and it's it's resulted in us being really, really poor at playing out. Well, um, there was the, um, it was his fault when we played Frankfurt, the goal. Mm-hmm. And then there was just, a, there was a catalogue of, of bad passes, including one which he nearly scored an own goal from, from, from 15 yards out, from 20 yards out, actually. Mm. So uh, Chu Lane says, I think I think less of Dyer's play than Bardi thinks of Hoybier. I simply don't understand the blind confidence from others about his play, and I want to. I genuinely do. Teach me to appreciate Eric Dyer. To me, he looks as if his role as centre-back is to usher an attacker into the box while maintaining a safe social distance. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a little harsh. I mean, actually, it's more than a little harsh. Eric Dyer uh, last season had a terrific season, I thought. Really terrific season. And he started this season just fine as well. And Eric Dyer on top form is a good player. You know, he he marshals space well. He jockeys players incredibly well. He um, he puts his head on things. He's very committed. He's very vocal. He organises the defence. He's a leader at the back. But when things start to go bad for Dyer. Because he's that kind of awkward, slightly cumbersome shape, uh, he's a big guy, he stands out, the mistakes are really obvious when he makes them. 
uh, and right now he's making quite a lot of errors. And the other thing is he does play a lot of long passes. You know, he's someone who likes to try and ping the ball. And if you miss hit a ping pass and it goes straight out for a throw, you look stupid. Yep. He, um, you're right. He did have a spell, a period of time where he looked like the guy that was getting back into form. But he, he's reverted to Eric Dyer and the, the guy that I always say that I want to live behind Eric Dyer because there is plenty of space to live and plenty of freedom. And it, it does seem that that, that guy's back. Mm. Uh, yeah, not been in a good run, obviously. I, 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 I think he's fine. I think any match in which he's not our least good centre back is a problem, yes. basically. And I think that we should we should aim to always have him be our least good centre back. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely think he. Um, what's I, there's a, like a phrasing like he he can't make. Uh, players around him better. He is made worse by worse players around him for sure. Uh, Any time that he is he is left to do the work of two men, um, mm. he looks really poor. And I, and I think that that was the case in this game, and not just this game. Um, yeah, yeah, he kind of gets dragged down to the level of his teammates. Yes, that's mm. definitely it, definitely. And I think you know Romero going through a rough patch of form where he's maybe been carrying an injury and is maybe just trying to avoid an injury with the World Cup coming up, and those kinds of things are um, affecting. Him. Eric Dyer. So I'm not saying that Eric Dyer has been good. I'm just saying um, I have three other things I'm doing before I'm looking to replace Eric Dyer. One of them is to provide someone who can play back up to Eric Dyer, mm-hmm. to be fair, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe contend in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Maybe he felt a lot of pressure on on him having to deal do all the kind of distribution from the back because he couldn't trust his goalkeeper and he couldn't trust Sanchez. So maybe there is a little bit in that as well. But I also think it's the England curse, man. Since he went back into the England team, <laughs> yeah. he's got crap again. Yeah. Just stay away from England. Agree. Mm. Uh, Tim Frank had an interesting point about the defence and the sub- substitutions used to um, tinker with the defence in matches. So he says, in six out of the seven matches this month, we've used at least one substitution on a centre-back. Do you think the demands on the position in Conte's system sees them tire more frequently? The decision is typically tactical, or it's mostly just explained by the increased number of substitutions available this year. I've been surprised that on multiple occasions we've made changes to the back three, but have not changed both wing-backs. Yeah, I think a lot of that stems to the problem of being able to move the ball into midfield, so maybe Conte's just trying to do that a bit better. But it's also, he, he clearly doesn't like playing Jed Spence, so he just won't change the wing-backs that often. Who, hmm, who is it primarily Davinson coming on for Romero? And is that primarily explained by Romero's recent fitness issues, do you think? So, have we Davin- had Langley and Longley and Davis? Yeah, but did, I feel like Sanchez came on in a central centre back once as well, didn't he? Um, no, he came on and Romero moved central with Oh, yes, 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 yeah. Against yeah. Frankfurt, and then we tried our best to throw the game away. Mm. I think um, I think Conte knows that he needs to make substitutions and keep players fresh, but he hasn't got many options that he trusts on the bench. And so he's bizarrely trusting some quite bad centre-backs to come on and do things. Um, I don't think there's more to it than that, personally. I, and I do think it's weird. I think it's strange. Like, I don't think the centre-back position is especially demanding certainly not more demanding of the role that Kane plays for example and Kane never gets subbed or rarely gets subbed it's certainly less demanding than the wing back position and as Tim points out 
we've not always been changing both our wing backs mid match. <laughs> you, <you've, laughs> I'm angry because you've just made me aware how few minutes Richarlison has taken from Kane and Son so far this mm. season, mm. Mm. which is surely the whole point of buying him, right? Well, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> do we want to talk more about this Newcastle game? I mean, something to say is that Newcastle aren't a bad team, right? They're they're okay. They're they're, they're doing well. They've only lost one game, and that was a last-minute winner that Liverpool scored against them. Um, we weren't terrible. We we The XG we posted was sort of fine. Son looked really quite lively, I thought. Um, I think it's like the fact that it followed a really sure. poor performance against United, and it was at home. I reckon that's the sort of reason for the absolute frustration and dismay amongst the fans. Is that fair? Yeah, um, and that while we did put up a higher amount of expected goals in Newcastle, we basically stopped doing so after the 60th minute when we yes. needed to be pushing for um, for more there, that we had such trouble playing out from the back throughout the game. Um, mm. I, I mean, yeah, you can say we were a little unlucky, but you have to just not allow that to be a feasible outcome against Newcastle. You have to play mm. a lot better than that. Um, so uh, Legion on the Discord, who uh, quite rightly gets a lot of flack, answers <laughs> a question about why is everyone feeling so bad and he says the football is looking bad there are new players who come in who aren't having the effect that we wanted Arsenal are currently above us um, Conte is considered a, not a long term manager and um, we're having a really bad time generally against teams who press us and I think that those are a, a good combination of points as to why it, why being <laughs> third in the table doesn't feel very good right now it really does not feel very good and I think it's reasonable to not feel good about things uh, although as Bardi pointed out at the top of the show things could get a lot worse and you know hopefully they won't this could just be a mini little moment of um a, a little quandary to overcome mm. and then we move forward i mean while we're here and sticking knives into loads of players i think part of the reason why we created nothing after 60 minutes is because he took skip off and put lucas on sure. so i mean it's a free-for-all at the moment so i might as well stick one in lucas as well um Cessignon, i thought Cessignon played pretty well and i know that's not the consensus but i think this young man arrives in situations brilliantly he really understands the play he really understands where he should be and when he should be attacking wise i think he's a great attacking left back but he did have some horrible crossing and horrible opportunities but I still think it's way too early to bin him off I still think he's got so much potential he just needs a little bit of a little bit more finesse in the final third and I think he's not helped by the fact that Emerson over the other side like if you compare Emerson and Cessignon Cessignon knows what he's doing whereas mm. Emerson has doesn't have a clue mm. so I, I think we need to continue pushing with Cessignon because also swapping him for Perisic did nothing in fact it, it hurts us even more so um he got a nice round of applause from from the crowd um so I think most of the hate must might just be online or in the three or four seats around me but I thought he did okay not as bad there's there's a lot of um, discontent about Sessignon in the Discord for sure. People are not fans of Sessignon. I I think um, Sessignon is a player who lacks self belief. He's spoken about his mentality and um, sports psychology in the past. I think uh, he's not someone that you're going to put into a struggling team and he's going to suddenly click and be this kind of guy to grab the game by the scruff of the neck and drag it forward. You put him into a successful team and he'll look really good. Really, really good, I believe. Um, 
whether he's the right man for this particular moment, I don't know. But I don't think Parasic is playing very well at all. No. Sure. I, I thought he, yeah. he had a poor substitute performance. But like Bardi points out, I think the bigger issue is right wing back. And as much as I think Emerson Royale is a competent defender, I've said it many times, I can't understand why Conte keeps picking him because the the ball lands... The way our system works, the ball ends up with the wing back so much in the final third. A lot of our final third play is with the, at the wing back's feet. And Emerson Royale is simply not able to capitalise on the amount of ball he has in the final third. And it's it's incredibly frustrating to see it time and time again. And... Um, yeah, I'm losing my patience with it. Sessegnon is um, good in the final third if we're playing like on the break or like artificially on the break with fast build-up play, but he's very poor against a packed box because he can't get like the right kind of lift on, on crosses from deeper. A, a ground pass from out wide, a cutback, a shot... Um, Things like that are good from Sessegnon, but but crossing from far out wide, doing Perisic type type things, are, are not his um are not his game at all. And so when you have Sessegnon and Emerson Royale against uh, a lot of players in the opposition box, you can't count on much at all there. Not that that's how Newcastle played, by the way. When I saw the team news, I very quickly went to understat, filtered by passes per defensive action, and saw that Newcastle are the third most intensive pressing site in the league. Um, and they did a really good job of pressing us with, um, you know, a lot of energy in their press. And then Bruno Gimaraes just mopping up our yeah. pathetic balls forward. He's he good, hasn't man. slept in two days. Who, Bruno hasn't? Yeah, his child Bad was born. Yeah. Just become a father. He's a very, very good player. He would mm. walk. He'd be the best midfielder in our club. Yeah. <laughs> Creative central midfielder from, from Leon. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they always would turn out well. Um, anything left to say about the Newcastle game, or should we should we have a little pause before we move on to menu? That was some bloody rain. That's it. Mm. Yeah. Seemed fitting somehow. Yeah. We are once again partnered with Athletic Greens, so I will hand over to Bardi. So I started taking AG1 because more greens and vitamins in your body is good for you, but also to help me with my choices. Deciding what to do in any given moment is hard. Just look at Hugo yesterday. He (laughs) arrived at a choice and he chose bad and ended up looking like a fool. Me, however, I have AG1 to help me with my choices. On my recent holiday, I stashed 12 sachets of AG1 (laughs) in my luggage. So when I faced the breakfast buffet and I had to make a choice, I was okay. Even if I went naughty occasionally, skipped my greens, opted for French toast, I could chase it with a dose of AG1, a dash of vitamin D. So even when being naughty, I was keeping all my levels topped up. Make better health choices. And Hugo, make better football choices. So Athletic Greens is a climate neutral certified company and in 2020 they purchased carbon credits that support projects protecting old growth rainforests. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash extra inch to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So, Manu. And this game felt a bit weird, right? Because we've been linked with Ten Hag before and a lot of us were quite interested in him. A lot of Spurs fans were very interested in him. 
Uh, Nathan even did a video uh, suggesting what his tactics might be like if he if he joined us. And then he came in, he had a bit of a rough start with United and slowly he seemed to turn things around a little bit. But this was by far the best United have played under Ten Hag. Things seemed to really click for them. I could not be helped. I, <laughs> I could not help but be incredibly impressed by how they played. I thought they were absolutely fantastic from front to back. I thought Casemiro did a great job in midfield. I thought their centre-back pairing was magnificent. And I thought their press was so good. It reminded me of Pete Pochettino Tottenham, if I'm honest. Yeah. I mean, the the game was mental. It was out there. I, I don't know, Man United, they just ran and they shot. And then they ran and they yeah. tackled and they shot. I don't think there was anything too too technical to what they did. They just ran a lot and shot a lot. And um, yeah, that was the crazy thing about it. So yeah, Ten Hag, um, obviously someone who I rated very, very highly, uh, came in wanting to play his press and possess style football, struggled at first, changed to a situation where he's playing more aggressively, more possession against the smaller teams and then playing more on a counter and the break against the bigger teams. I thought he's going to have a hard time doing that against us. He'll probably have to try to possess the ball. And if and they're probably still weak at doing that to, to a high level. So I was actually feeling pretty good going into the United game, despite what I'd said before about, about Everton and, and Frankfurt. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that he set them up really, really smartly. So I, I, there is a... Um, video on TIFO by my friend John McKenzie um, did a really good job of explaining Man United's sort of very man-orientated um, pressing. Um, it was specifically tailored to that because we build up with the right-hand-sided bias and then look to switch over um, to release Sun on the left-hand side. They set up in a pressing scheme that, that mirrored that. And so... Um, we lost the ball a lot on our left hand side, right? We put they they put pressure on us on our right. We switch over to the left where it looks like we have a spare man, and that's when primarily Casemiro and then Anthony swap over and pounce and read that pass and get the turnover. So Hoyberg and was it Davies started that one, and um, just our entire left hand side lost the ball an incredible amount, basically. Um, despite that, we did still get forward a few times. And we were incredibly wasteful and incredibly poor in the final third. Um, yeah, a really, really pretty miserable watch. I, I, United put out about one expected goal in the first half from um, all of the shots they were generating per, from their possession, um, almost entirely all from distance. I thought the 5-3-2 did a pretty good good job actually of keeping pressure on all of their shots and I didn't feel that threatened by the attacks they had from their own possession in the first half um, and then they immediately scored from a high turnover uh, in the second half I am actually not that upset about how we performed off the ball in that game which is actually what uh, Longley came out and said I think in an in interview but we just had nothing going the other way we were we couldn't capitalize on our own possession either from deep or or breaking through on the counter um 
I, I completely yeah. agree with that final point, yeah. Nathan. I really think completely agree with that final point. And I think Perisic in particular had several occasions where he received the ball with a lot of grass ahead of him to run into and he just failed to create any situation that was in any way useful for us. Um, the, the, the point that John makes in the video, which I haven't watched yet, but I will now, uh, is a really in, in, interesting one. Um, one of the points I've got written in my notes here is that Son was smothered every time the ball came near to him. And now you said that, yeah, it makes complete sense. And it was often Casemiro doing the smothering. And, um, you know, they, it felt like they were doubling up on him. Obviously, they probably were based upon that piece of analysis. And it worked really well. Um, it just felt like we were sort of passing very, very deep in the way we do to try and suck United in, but then struggled to get the ball over the first band into the next band because United was so effective of closing the ball as it landed. So this man-oriented pressing is something that I spoke about quite a bit when Conte first came in. And I said, look, um, more teams should set up in a way that it is prepared for the pattern-based movement of, of Conte and they don't. Um, and some teams tried and looked at like how Southampton tried and then exa- uh, uh, and failed and, and were beaten in 1v1 situations in, in their own third. And some t- teams did a decent job. Leeds early on did a decent job, but then exhausted themselves in doing it because you can't keep it up for 90 minutes. And then Tuchel was was the one who did a, an exceptional job every time and kind of showed how it can be done. Um, Pilo also had some success with Juve against Inter. Um, and the question was like, well, why don't other teams do this? Are other teams going to do this? And I think that Ten Hag was an example of someone else doing something pretty similar successfully um, and, and nullifying Conte's possession game. And I don't think it's going to be a huge trend of other teams doing that and I, I do think a lot of the time when lesser teams try to do it they will exhaust themselves or simply fail in terms of 1v1 quality whereas you know United have actually got a pretty decent squad for the most part um, but in that video John uses our game against United to then talk about United versus Chelsea United set up in a similar pressing team against Chelsea had success for the opening 20 minutes or so and then Graham Potter made a substitution and changed to a back four and turned the game around. And this is where we have to draw the comparisons with Conte. Uh, completely right. We um, Conte is so stubborn with system changes. Yeah. Stubborn is a difficult word because I think like it's not that he is like morally against the idea of changing shape. Right, his football is based on on. Uh, automations and it's based on mm. familiarity mm. Uh, and therefore it's kind of necessitates a back three and mm. to change out of a you know to change from one shape to another is to undermine your greatest strength so I don't think that it, it's so much that he's personally against changing formations but that this is sort of the the in, inbuilt downside to to Conte's football and you have to take the, the ups with the downs there basically it's not just something he can start doing it's not something he can work on on a personal level that this is this is this is his football so Ivan Victor asked um, chaps I hope you're well and please bear with me on this question about the United game what the fuck was all that about <laughs> um, I, I hope we've come some way to sort of addressing that Ivan um, I like this one from Lee RB who said the last two games in 3-5-2 I've noticed that United and Newcastle both use their fullbacks as free men and use them to great effect to switch play and work up the field almost to the point where it seemed like they had an extra player. What can we do to alleviate this without changing shape? As I'd imagine, that's not what Conte would do. 
So yes, this is absolutely true because we play such a sort of flat back five when we're in a defensive phase. It leaves lots of space ahead of them in the three five two, which the the outside midfielders are asked to try and fill. And obviously, that is a really difficult job, um, particularly against Newcastle when you've got a three man midfield to 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 play against as well. So uh, I think we were finding it tough, and I think Newcastle exploited that fantastically well obviously Kieran Trippi is a really good passer of the ball we know that sure um, but there, there were loads of switches um, and, and actually Dallow of United had a fantastic game against us really really excelled he's good he's good but I mean he's good but that's the best I've ever seen him play sure. maybe um, and I think there's something in that I think there's something in the shape uh, and and the fullbacks having a, a particularly strong game yeah, well, I think I think Newcastle it was it was just really Trippier that did it. Dan Byrne, who never been a fullback in his life, he would come across and make it like a back three, and then Willock and Joe Linton, they just they just run like hell. So yeah, it was more about Kieran Trippier rather than Dan Byrne for for Newcastle. I I you can say that this is sort of a this is the payoff and switching from the the five. 4-1 to the 5-3-2 you can say oh let's just be more aggressive with our central midfielders the wide ones although that's quite difficult you can say we need to avoid being pushed back into our own third quite so much uh, and we need to engage the opposition higher all of those are reasonable sort of tactical comments um, but I think the primary thing there is that we aren't at the moment instilling sufficient fear in our mm. opposition mm. fullbacks because um, the opposition left back should be terrified that if one time Kulusevski gets behind him, mm-hmm. that they're going to concede a goal, and and that doesn't exist at the moment. And it's sounding a little like it might not exist until after the World Cup. <laughs> Fuck. It does sound like he's had a setback, and it's devastating because we miss him so much. We miss him so much. He's just such a critical player to making the system work. Um, but let's change a little bit to another left-footed player. Sideways uh, Sisyphus says, Sisyphus. with the Sisyphus, apologies, with the June long search for a left centre-back appearing to end with a loan for Longley, I'm curious about what sort of superstat you would all recommend to identify a press-resistant centre-back. In Longley's case, his dribble success is poor, but his success rates for short and medium passes are pretty good. Recognising that there are multiple ways to be press-resistant as a defender, what would you suggest are the best stats to consider and how might they be weighted or prioritised? And further, how might the rest of a team or formation need to adjust to benefit most from different types of pass-resistant defenders, e.g. passing out versus dribbling out? So I, I think there's a, an interesting discussion point here about about uh, identifying potential centre-backs, particularly for a, a Conte system where you need to be press-resistant because you're you're deliberately tempting the opposition forward and putting yourself under pressure. Um, but I think there's also a conversation to be had about Longley and Davis and their strengths and, and weaknesses. So Nathan, first, is there anything you think is is a sort of super stat, as Sideways puts it? Um, yes and no. So uh, there's a very simple, uh, very obvious way of measuring this in which you, you um, purchase for your professional football club uh, a data supply from Opta. And then you you use R or Python and you calculate the number of times a given player loses possession within certain zones, so their own third, um, and you can measure that per 90 or per 100 possessions. Um, I know people who do exactly that, but we can't do that because we don't have 
that data and the closest thing we have to that is pass percentage uh passes under pressure uh dribble percentage you allude to in the question um things like that and then sort of balance that with um successful passes into the final third progressive pass distance total per 90 those kinds of things so there isn't for me and for you a super stat but as is very often the case with these kinds of things if you have the raw data and the coding ability you can just straight down the line come up with your own metric and what on that basis do you think we use to identify longley as a as a upgrade replacement backup rotation sorry what's the exact question what, what do you think spurs saw in longley to make him think make them think he was the right guy I think that Longley is known as a very good passer um, who was perfectly good at passing for Barcelona and their passing needs, but was having a bad time defensively and looked lacking in confidence. And Conte thought that he could turn around his confidence and therefore get the best out of him in terms of passing. Mm. Longley is fine. I don't I mind like, Longley. I like Longley. I, like I think Longley. he's a good rotation option. I still think Davies is is a better a better fit right now. But yeah, I've got no I've got no issues with Longley. I think also he's left footed. He was available and he didn't cost sixty million like Bastoni. Yeah, yeah. I Longley to me is very much an agent based scouting operation hmm. where a guy who knows Paratici, sorry, Paratici says, Hey, Longley is going to be available. He he's left footed and he's a really good passer. Uh, he just needs an arm around the shoulder from a good coach. Interesting. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I think I do still prefer Longley over Davis, you know, as much mm, as I too. like Ben Davis, I, I think Longley's passing is really good. Really good. I like Davies is underlapping. I think Longley, Longley doesn't do that enough. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny. When we saw we saw Longley make some some good runs forward in preseason, and I thought, okay, this could be interesting. Yeah, might see some some darts forward from him. And there's been very little of that so far. He got forward once yesterday and delivered a cross, which was uh, into the right area, but a bit under hit. Uh, but I think there's definitely more to come from him. And I still feel like he's kind of he's not really had a run, has he? So I feel like he's not quite built up ahead of steam at this point. But I do like him. And I do like, I, I definitely feel that after Romero, he's the one of our since backs with the most composure on the ball under pressure. I definitely feel more confident with him with the ball at his feet than I do Dyer or Davis and certainly Sanchez. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I also think we could improve on both Davis and Longley. Like long term, I think we should be looking to improve on both of them. Um, anything more to say about the Man U game? Um, we didn't mention it for Newcastle, but I think Ben Tanko is in a really, really nice run of form. Sure. I like I like the way he's playing at the moment. He is looking really confident. Uh, lot like I, 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 I say it every week. I think his pressing is exceptional. Yes, yeah. he's, he's so fast. He's so fast to anticipate and actually arrive. You know, he's got such a good stride on him. He he, he covers ground really quickly. Um, what we're starting to see from him a lot more now is him bursting into space and looking a bit more confident at doing that, which is really good to see. Uh, and certainly in the three-five-two, he he has more opportunity to do that because he knows he's got cover in behind. Conte wanted to use him as sort of a bit of a number ten in the United game, except we didn't really have enough of the ball to actually see that that was happening. Um, and then what I didn't also notice is against Newcastle, Lucas was played probably narrow behind Kane and Son rather than out wide. 
Um, I didn't actually catch this, but multiple people I pointed didn't. it out to me. I mean, at that point in the match, I was really struggling to make myself watch. The ball was out of play for about half an hour in the final half an hour of the game, and it was miserable football. So <laughs> so I didn't catch that, but multiple I people told me. I did not think that was the case. I thought Lucas just no. played the standard, you know, inside, right forward uh, role. Like, I it's... Touch, man. I mean, the the role is narrow anyway in the three four three, right? That's true. It's, it's I don't think he was playing as a ten personally. Um, I, mean, I think um, I think the ball was out of play for well over half an hour in that in that game. It, we had, <laughs> in actual fact, I think we had less than an hour of real time football, which is just the referee was just he he allowed Newcastle to do whatever they wanted. Yeah, it was weird because he booked Nick Pope for time wasting, and then only added on five minutes when Pope had probably wasted two or three by himself plus there'd been a bunch of subs yeah um yeah this time wasting thing it's all over the place it's it just doesn't exist we're having five subs now and um we're not getting any time back (laughs) yeah it does feel that way i mean yeah sure sure the game only stops three times to make the substitutions but the breaks take longer because you're bringing two players off and, and not one player and like they they put the boards up one player runs off, then they put the second board up, mm. another player. It's not like they they do both the outgoing players at the same time to get them off the yeah. pitch, which they could consider doing. Um, so it's a bit odd. To end on a happy note, uh, Nathan, I've not yet watched the finale, but House of the Dragon is really good, isn't it? I like it. I like it. Uh, the lead showrunner, Ryan Connolly, is a Spurs fan and was ah. uh, interviewed at halftime, apparently. You know how they do guest interview things at halftime. Oh, right. Um, so let's try and find his email address. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be cool. That would be fun. Um, uh, Paddy Considine, yeah. give him the Emmy. Give him the Emmy. Yeah, 100%. Just so good. Ridiculously good. I, 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 it's interesting. Like, um, Spoiler alert for House of the Dragon. There are uh, lots of time jumps. And so some of the casting has been interesting because some of the actors changed and some didn't. And that has appeared to be a little odd at times in the show. Uh, The way they aged Paddy Considine. uh, And I think the way like he aged dramatically and those around him didn't age as much was really effective. And it it really kind of spoke to sort of human decay and like what it's like to grow old and especially old with a with a really nasty chronic illness um and i thought they did a fantastic job of that well uh yeah i hmm, there's a lot to say on that so i i suspect that uh viserys was being poisoned (laughs) um but I think that Damon has aged too slowly. He's aged about five yes. years, right? Yes. Matt Smith has aged about five years. Um, <clears throat> the thing with the time jumps, right, is that this is a story that is written, already exists, is written as a history book, and it, there are a lot of important events that covers a large period of time. And mm. for the first what, six episodes of the show, uh, we are essentially doing preamble leading up to the main interesting area, right? So this is how it had to be done, right? You had to get through that section at a reasonable pace. You had to hit all those points. You had to jump forward in time. The problem for me is that um, personalities have changed episode to episode. And at first, I thought that that was primarily... um, actors changing right so um Rhaenyra for example her actress changes 
and she dramatically changes personality at the same time. Mm. And in a way that makes sense with the time jump. Um, but for her to change actress and character isms at the same time, I found a little yeah. difficult to, 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 hmm, I just found it a bit jarring, I guess. But then since then, I felt like characters whose actor has remained the same have changed personality wise fairly drastically from episode to episode. So, um, I don't know. Maybe that is just something that is correct for time jumps because people change over time. Um, but I, I found that a little difficult. Um, there's been a number of, of, I, I think for, 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 um, nine hours and 40 minutes of the 10 hour season runtime, the show has been exceptional. Mm. Um, really, really good, almost as good as season one Game of Thrones. But there have been a handful of season eight Game of Thrones moments. Maybe that's a little too harsh. Sprinkled throughout for big shock factor. Um, yeah. you know, tweetable moments that I, <laughs> that I thought were not, not great. But overall, um, I'm very, very glad that the show exists. Yeah, I think that's a really nice summary that the, the vast majority of the show, I think, is of an exceptionally high standard. And I would say it's on a par with early Game of Thrones, personally, um, the vast majority. But there have been a couple of moments where you just sort of can't understand why a character's done a certain thing. And it it's kind of taken some of the enjoyment away um, yeah. with some sloppy writing, I would say. Uh, but on the whole, great show, great casting, really thoughtfully done um obviously amazing amazing scenery uh cinematography and actually i think the dragons have looked pretty good compared to game of thrones as well like i I preferred the dragons in house of the dragon to how they looked in game of thrones i'm now going to show my fiance the first four seasons of game of thrones and then tell her my own ending wonderful you have been listening to the extra inch with me windy my sidekick and best friend barney and our tactics guy if you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash the extra inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Creighton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at the extra inch. Email us at podcast at the extra inch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Subs, we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs.